Welcome to Water Flying. Y'all saddle up because in this episode, we are going to explore seaplane flying opportunities in Texas. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, after a holiday break, we are back, and I am so excited to start the new year off discussing seaplane flying opportunities in Texas with our multi-talented, multi-titled field director, Michael Aris, who is our team leader in Texas, as well as our uh, west, our dry west uh, regional director. Mike, I can't think of a better way to start off 2022 and SPA's 50th anniversary off other than talking to our 2021 Field Director of the Year. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, hi, Steve. Um, It's great to be here. Uh, Happy New Year to you and to all our listeners out there. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it was a wild ride in 2021. A lot of successes to celebrate for us. Again, starting our 50th year anniversary is a big deal for SPA. Obviously, it's a huge uh, milestone for us. I want to, I'm just chomping at the bit to get into talking about today's discussion about flying in Texas and learning a little bit more about you for our listeners. Um, so what can you tell us, um, to our listeners about your background and your flying and your seaplane pursuits? Sure, sure, Steve. Um, so I've been involved in aviation pretty much all my life. Uh, I started out in flying clubs, uh, in the eighties, back when I was a teenager, before I could even get my, uh, pilot's license. Um, we used to wash airplanes to, uh, to, to get rides and, uh, do a little trading, uh, on, on airplane rides. Um, so, so I've been involved in aviation for a long time. I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University where, uh, on top of my degree in aviation technology, I also earned my private pilot's license and got my, uh, airframe and power plant mechanics license. Um, so once I got out of there, out of school, I started working with the airlines as a mechanic and then transferred into engineering and worked on all kinds of aircraft, uh, uh, big aircraft and traveled around the world. Um, during that time at, 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 at the airlines, I also earned my commercial and instrument ratings. Uh, in wow. 2000, I actually uh, left the airlines and went out on my own supporting, doing consulting support um, for aviation, aerospace, missile defense companies uh, for private sector and for the government. And uh, I did pretty well and was fortunate and able, able to retire in 2004, but I wasn't really ready to stop doing, uh, doing things. So I, I, uh, I took a few years off and traveled and, and uh, took some vacation, but then I started consulting with various aviation companies, supporting maintenance, installation, modifications of both small and large aircraft, um, everything from Cessnas to, uh, to you know, Boeing aircraft, uh, every, every size, every shape. Uh, I'm still doing that, and I've increased my uh, my capabilities. I've become an, an FAA uh, designated engineering representative or DER, and so I'm I'm still doing that and uh, and providing approval data for data and and, and uh, support of uh, new new installations on aircraft. 
Wow. So, I, uh, I didn't know you had your DER, and we could have used it recently because we had one of the manufacturers looking to test a new propeller for the Super Cub to certify a new propeller for the Super Cub, and they wanted to use my airplane, and we were actually having trouble finding a DER to do the work. So, uh there, well, you, there go. you go. Now you, have a new con- now you have a new contact for that. So very good. Very good. So yeah, in, in addition to aviation, I've always been an active boater and, you know, wakeboarder and skier. Um, and so I thought it would be a good, good thing to combine my, my love of flying and boating. And so in 2016, I actually went out and got my, uh, my uh, aircraft uh, single engine seaplane license. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I'm really glad I did it. It's, it's a whole new kind of flying and, and uh, I really enjoy it. And uh, so, so once I got my seaplane rating, my instructor was was telling me about SPA, uh, the Seaplane Pilots Association, and uh, you know they have you know they they support seaplane flying and uh, they have a water landing directory. And I wanted to get involved in it, so I contacted my uh, my Texas field director and uh, uh, asked him about Central Texas. And he said he really didn't know a lot about it, but you know it's a huge state, so I can I can understand that. Uh, being the field director now in Texas, uh, I can really understand that. So uh, um, I found an area that I could help out with, uh, with SPA. And so I joined and became a member and then I became a field director. And then now I'm the regional director for the desert Southwest region, which includes Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty involved in the, in the, uh, in the SPA operation now. You are, and we have to be sure that we don't uh, overwork you as well, because you are wearing a lot of hats, and you've taken on a lot of responsibility, and you're you're just doing a tremendous job, which is why you are our 2021 Field Director of the Year. So again, uh, kudos to you for everything you're doing, and you know the volunteers like yourself are the real heavy lifters of the organization, and especially as we look forward to how we're going to continue to provide more value and service to the members in the future in the seaplane community. We're only going to do so much with our employees and our staff due to the limitations of of funding and everything else. And uh, it's really going to be more important for individuals and pilots to take more ownership for the community with us assisting them and helping them to do that. So uh, again, thank you for all your efforts as a volunteer and field director and all the other things that you're doing uh, for us. It, it kind of, well, resonates. yeah, yeah. And I, and I completely mean that. And, and, you know, there's another thing that resonates that you just touched on in that you're an active boater and you've been involved in water sports and that there's that natural transition. If you're a pilot to want to fly seaplanes and, one of the things that I've noticed over the years working with our members and, and surveying our members is like 70 to 80% of our members are active owner, either boaters or boater, uh, boat uh, owner operators, which is really significant because it gives us a, a great perspective of how to interact with other, uh, uh, you know, user groups on these waterways and especially coming to topics like invasive species. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, we, when we're all flying in the seaplanes, uh, we often uh, joke around that, hey, when we're flying around over the airport, over the over the lakes, we're we're an airplane, but when we're down on the water, we're a boat, and so so we're we're interacting with boats, and you know, you have to use the same uh, rules and regulations, and and just be courteous to the other boaters, and and think about your impact on those. And that includes the, the invasive species because, uh, you know, an airplane can much more easily carry invasive species around from one lake to another than, than you can in a boat. So uh, you have to really be aware of that. Yeah. Again, uh, I'd always, it, 
I think it really bodes well for our user group, again, to have that cross-pollination of education and experience and, and you know, understanding of, of the boating side of it as well as uh, the aviation side of it. So what are you currently flying? Um, uh, you're doing a lot of it out there, I know, but what are you flying and, and what, what have you owned in the past? Well, uh, yeah, so I've owned a bunch of airplanes uh, through my history, um, and I still do have a couple of airplanes now. Um, but I learned to fly seaplanes in a Piper Supercruiser on floats, which was uh, an excellent way to learn how to fly. Um, I, I bought a Cessna 180 on floats after that, and I uh, used that for a little while, which is a great plane. Uh, but I'm currently flying a Progressive Aerodyne Sea Ray, um, and it's just a blast to operate both on the in the air and on the water. It's like a little sea dew on the water, and uh, it climbs. It takes off in 500 feet on the lake. It's a it's a great airplane. Um, it was built, it's an experimental airplane. It was built by a, a man named Terry Scott, who did such a great job on building this airplane that last year at uh, AirVenture 2021, it won the Outstanding Home-Built Seaplane Award. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a pretty nice plane. Um, you know, so since, since I started flying seaplanes, uh, I've been able to log over 600 hours in various airplanes, including Piper, Cessnas, Sea Rays, and even got AirCam. And even got to fly a beaver, but I didn't get to log that time. <laughs> well, uh, you need to do more beaver flying, and we can help you facilitate that. So uh, yeah. uh, it's an amazing, I, you know, every chance you get to fly a, a beaver is a, a special day. And um, Oh, yeah, they're a great airplane. And we share a lot of similar experiences in the aircraft. And, of course, we operated uh, the Sea uh, Ray that Progressive Aerodyne provided for us for two years uh, to uh, do our long-term test on. And uh, I tell you, uh, as a Super Cub fan and a traditional float uh, aircraft fan, flying the lighter side of the market was a, a new experience, both for myself and Mark Twombly, who were the primary pilots on the airplane. And we really learned a lot and got a completely different perspective of it and, and a great understanding. Number one, I, I I developed a tremendous respect for Sea Ray pilots because the aircraft is very pitch sensitive on the water, but also without differential braking, uh, as a a high-time tailwheel pilot, it it was quite honestly intimidating and had to relearn and rethink the way you fly it on a runway without the differential brakes. And and I think we all picked up a lot of respect uh, for Sea Ray pilots um, and also had a tremendous amount of fun in it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a little different. You have to learn learn a couple of techniques and and uh, um, but just like any other airplane, once you learn it, you figure out what your limitations are and and it's uh it's it's good flying. It's a it's a it's an interesting airplane. A lot of fun. Yeah, we I I've coined the term that it's a flying Miata because uh, the the goal is you're always going to fly it with the canopy open or the top down like a Miata. You're not going to put a lot in the back of it. You're not going to burn a lot of fuel, but when you go out, you're going to have a heck of a lot of fun every time you go out in it. And uh, my my wife actually preferred doing uh, sunset flights in the Sea Ray because we were sitting next to each over uh, other other over the Super Cub, which was something really interesting to develop because she was such a again such a huge fan of the Super Cub. But when it came time to go fly and and do sunset flights and things like that, she really gravitated towards the the Sea Ray. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a great flying experience. I mean, the open canopies and just flying around and the visibility on that airplane is just—it's incredible. It's a—it's a—it's a, it's a, it's a uh, great view while you're flying around. Yeah, we we never flew with the canopy 
closed. I mean, that was that was just like sacrilegious, like flying the Super Cub with the doors up if you don't have to. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, how long have you lived in Texas? What's your background in Texas? So, sure. So, I, so we moved to Texas in uh, 2004 when I retired, and uh, to be with my wife's family, they, they they lived out on a lake called Cedar Creek Lake, and uh, we thought, hey, why not join them on the water? Uh, so we moved down there and uh, lived down there for a few years. And then uh, about 10 years ago, we moved to Austin and uh, where we lived down here on Lake Austin, which is part of a Highland Lakes chain. Uh, there's, there's seven lakes in the chain and uh, it's, you know, living in Austin is great for the city life. And you've got lakes right there, right through the city. And uh, so we got water sports and great seaplane flying out here. Wow. That's awesome. Um and Texas has a, a really unique law that I, I, on its books that I really, in my mind, think is one of the uh, laws that I'd like to see other states adopt uh, because it really would simplify seaplane legislation and our efforts to keep water open. Uh, can you t- please share with us and our listeners a little bit about the, what this law is and, and how it uh, affects seaplane access? Sure, Steve. In, in 1999, they passed Title Three, Chapter 26 of the Transportation Code, um, which is referred to as the Open Water Regulation. Uh, you know, basically, the, the the rules are that any navigable water body of water that allows motorized boats uh, is also accessible, but but to aquatic aircraft, and unless there's some, some specific restrictions stopping you from accessing that lake. Um, you know, published restrictions may be, you know, put in place due to hazards or county or city regulations, or just a, if the, the lake owner or operator wants to provide any specific restrictions for hazards. Um, you know, some good examples are like Grapevine Lake is right near the Dallas airport, and it's close to seaplane activity just because it's right under the Class B and, and you know, departing and arriving aircraft are flying right over that airport. So they wanted to keep uh, seaplanes out. You know, another example is right here in Austin, Ladybird Lake. Um, there's a five horsepower limit on for boats on the lake. So obviously, you know, seaplanes can't come in and out of there. And so, uh, you know, those are the kind of restrictions that might come into place. Uh, they also might restrict certain areas of the lake because of hazards, uh, you know, because of a, a spillway or because of, you know, ha- hazards in the lake, sunken, uh, you know, uh, material under the lake or, or, you know, stumps, things like that. So, uh, um, so the best way to, to know about these restrictions is uh, to check your SPA water landing directory. Um, the SPA is continually updating this, this uh, directory in Texas and the rest of the U.S. So, so uh, it's a great resource for accessing the information on the lakes that are available and the ones that are, have any kind of restrictions. So the best way to, to get the access to that directory is to join SPA and become a member. Yeah, there you have it. And I appreciate that uh, shout out on that. But uh, you you guys do. I mean, so I was watching a video before we started recording today that you sent me and uh, look like gorgeous flying. I mean, uh, you know, my my has a neophyte who just he generally drives across the top of Texas across uh, uh, going from what is it? uh, uh just across the top of the key there, I call it. And um, I usually don't see all the terrain and, and everything else. And you looked beautiful, but there was also reservoirs with, with tree stags and stumps and stuff like that in there. And again, that's where that water landing directory is going to try to help uh, guide you how to stay out of trouble there. And, and we'll try to monitor the water level. So when they go down and that becomes more of an issue, uh, we can let people know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, you know, flying flying seaplanes in Texas is, is just uh, 
uh, as a pleasant surprise for me. I've really, really enjoyed it. You know, in addition to the open water regulations that we just talked about, uh, the weather is pretty much, it's good all year round. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's probably in the mid seventies right now out here and I may go out flying this <laughs> afternoon. So, uh, it's, it's, a, it's the, the, the weather has been awesome. And, uh, um, so Texas also has over 5,600 square miles of inland water, uh, you know, it's inland waterways, lakes, reservoirs, uh, rivers. And, uh, and so that, that is the, the number one in the 48 CONUS states. Uh, uh, you know, so it's, there's plenty of water out here, you know, Florida, Minnesota, and Louisiana are, are next on the list, but, uh, uh, I was surprised to find out it's number one. Uh, yeah, there's over 180 reservoirs that have over 5,000 surface acres. And, uh, and then there's 7,000 or more, uh, that have at least 10 surface acres. So there's plenty of water around and, uh, that doesn't even include the 350 miles of coastline that you have at the, you know, at the Gulf of Mexico. So, uh, there's plenty of flying time. Yeah. Um, uh, let me, so that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to do this episode and to get you on because, you know, even myself, uh, I, I didn't realize that, uh, you had more inland waterway shoreline than any other state in the in the lower 48 you know especially as a florida native where we have like 7400 lakes over 7 uh, over 150 acres and to think that you have 180 reservoirs with over 5000 surface acres is just amazing and uh it just you know it i just it, it just goes to back up this notion i have that the state that has the best potential for growth uh, in the lower 48 is Texas in so many ways. And uh, I just can't wait to get there and fly there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we enjoy uh, all the lakes that we have right here in central Texas. I mean, I have uh, a ton of lakes that are just within 100 miles of me here. And uh, uh, these lakes have, you know, marinas that you can pull up to. There's parks everywhere. You can, you know, pull up and, and have a lunch on the bench, you know, park bench someplace uh, in, in a park. Um, we've got restaurants and hotels that are right on the water. You can you, know, you pull right up and and park your airplane and uh, and and there's actually a couple of casinos out towards uh, towards uh, East Texas that are that are accessible right there just across the border. Uh, so so yeah, there's there's uh, there's plenty of accessibility. And if you don't want to go some if you want to go someplace private, you can always find a little private beach or an island or a sandbar. Um, you know, we, we, we have a, we have a group of airplanes here in central Texas that, that we've been getting together with and, and fly around. And, uh, um, right now we have over 35 pilots and airplanes in, in just in the central Texas area. And, uh, um, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we had seven of us doing splash and dashes out there on the water. Uh, that's a, a, the land equivalent of a touch and go and, uh, and then, uh, beaching up and we met up for lunch at a, at a restaurant up on Lake Buchanan. It's a, it's a great community. Uh, it's, 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 and it's growing. It's growing. I I mean, I find new seaplane pilots all the time. Uh, One other thing is uh, there was only one seaplane base that I found in in Texas when I first started with SPA and uh, that's out in Houston, but now we've opened a new one. I've helped out to open a new one down in uh, Southern Houston in the Southeast Houston area, Serenity seaplane base. And we're also working on a new one in East Texas uh, at the, at the Marlin airport. Wow, that's awesome. You know, I always pride ourselves here in Florida for having so many destinations and restaurants and hotels and things that we can visit. Um, but again, I think, uh, you know, we've we've long overlooked the potential that Texas has. And uh, I'd like to encourage our listeners um, 
to also go explore this again. I I will be. So, you know, this is such a great way to kick off the 2022 waterflying podcast season. And I mean, it just, it just seems like there's so many more episodes to do just touching on some of these subjects. What have we failed to cover that our listeners should know about waterflying in Texas and how do they get a hold of you if they want to figure out how to, to get engaged and, and to come do some flying in Texas? Sure. Well, I mean, what we what we need to know about water flying, not just in Texas, but everywhere, is you you, you want to be safe operators and considerate to others on the water. Uh, we're sharing this water with boats, and we have people that live on the lakes, and so you want to be considerate to to everybody that's out there and be aware of uh, your impact on on what's going on out there. Um, we also want to, as we just t- touched on earlier, be aware of invasive species. Uh, um, as we mentioned, an airplane can easily take invasive species from one lake to another. And so you just need to be aware that if you're if you're flying in one lake, if it does have invasive species, don't go fly into a lake that doesn't have invasive species. And we've still got a combination of those in Texas. Um, so so I share all this information as well as, uh, you know, any known hazards, you know, wire crossings on the lake, stumps, hidden submerged objects. You saw some of those in the video that I sent you yeah. um, with our local seaplane community. And this seaplane community has been growing you know, since, since I've been involved, I, 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 I found, you know, like I said, 30 something pilots just in this area that we're flying around with. Uh, so, uh, I'm happy to share my, this information with you. If you contact me and you can get your information right from the SPA website. Yeah. And again, so you start talking about getting 30 pilots together. Uh, again, it sounds so much like Florida where David Hinch, who I've got to send up a, a, a email blast out for, for a splash. And we're doing this weekend up in Leesburg, uh, Florida, um, you know, the fact that you're getting groups of pilots together and doing these flyouts is amazing. Uh, again, I think that's one of the great benefits we can provide as the Seaplane Pilots Association. And, and again, kudos to the volunteers like David Hinch and yourself that, that do these on a regular basis. Randy Strebig does a, a wonderful event in Indiana as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, going back to Texas, uh, I this is a state I actually have not flown on the water in, which is really interesting to me. I, I love the fact that I still have opportunities to learn and grow in my seaplane flying experiences. And I cannot wait for the opportunity to have you show me around Texas and to go bring my Super Cub and, and go out and just, you know, explore this state. Because from our conversations that we've been having through the videos that you've been sharing with me, I just can't wait to come explore it and and to see it because it really looks exciting. And I've always said that out of the lower 48 states, when I look at the land mass, the amount of available open land versus uh, and at the same time, a high population that can support a community and to have the right demographic of that population. And then you throw in the fact that you have more you know, shoreline than any other state in the lower 48 and that you've got this great state law that protects access for seaplanes and promotes access for seaplanes. I think Texas has the greatest potential to grow a new community where we haven't associated a strong seaplane community anywhere in the country. And um, I, I think, you know, I'm looking forward to working with you to expand the community and to expand our involvement in Texas because, uh, it just seems like it's ripe uh, to to really be uh, cultivated into a major seaplane uh, area. You know, we, we think about Minnesota and Washington State and Maine and Florida. I don't think Texas is on 
the top of people's minds in most cases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was surprised to find out how many lakes there are that are actually accessible. Um, I've I've probably hit 250 of them. Uh, I still, you know, have what another 6,500 or so to to go. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great place to be. And I, I I tell you, I look forward to hosting you when you come out. Uh, just here in Central Texas, you're going to enjoy the Highland Chain. Uh, uh, it, it's it's a beautiful ride, and and there's plenty of water out here, and uh, there's there's a ton of other lakes all around Texas. Yeah, wow. Uh, again, on my list for 2022 to come for a visit and try to carve out some time to go do some flying. So uh, I tell you what, uh, we hope that you, our listeners, have enjoyed this conversation as much as we have had, you know, having the conversation. It's been very enlightening for me. Uh, Mike continues to teach me. Every time we talk, I, I learn more about Texas and the seaplane opportunities in Texas. Please, if you like uh, this podcast, please share it with your friends. Hit the like as well uh, with your friends. Uh, share it with your friends and then send your suggestions uh, for future episodes to us and any feedback that you have to CSR, Charlie Sierra Romeo at seaplanes.org. And until next time, fly safe and fly often. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.